Hey folks, welcome to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision. Here we are with episode 76. Today's very special guest is the band T-Tops. T-Tops hailing from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, Pat Waters on lead vocal and guitar, uh, Mike Cook on drums, and Matt Shore on bass. Uh, what you're listening to is the first song off of their latest record, Burn the River. Well, at the end of the episode, they'll be playing a short segment of their song, Static Scream also off of the same record. It's a banger of a record, as you can tell, by listening to it. Um, great band, absolutely wonderful conversation we had, which is kicking off this uh, noise, noise rock series that I'm starting, uh, highlighting bands that are performing at No Coast Fest 2022. And uh, I was honored to speak with them and uh, about a, a fantastic and amazing record that is also near and dear to my own heart as well, uh, and we, we get into it. Here it is, folks. Thank you very much. Uh, please all do all the things you do with the internet is what we ask here. Like, share, comment, subscribe, rate, review, all of those things. And uh, we'll see you again very soon. What's up? T-Tops, how are you? Good, how are you? how are you doing? I'm okay. Let me see if I can get this straight. So um, on the left, as uh, according to me, in the glasses, it's you, Pat? Yeah. Uh, in the middle, you must be Mike? Yes, sir. Mike Koch, drums? Cook. Cook, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, and then okay. Matt Shore, is that how you pronounce that? Yes. Uh, bass? Yep. Oh, cool, guys. All right, I got it. Well, it's nice to meet you. How are you guys doing? You too. Pretty good. We're coming uh, out of my house and making hamburgers. Oh, oh sweet. Yeah, so, um, you know, I invited you guys on to discuss an album <clears throat> that's important to you. Um, Pat, did you make this decision by yourself, or did you include everybody? No, I definitely asked both of them, you know, uh, what... I mean, we discussed it uh, for a while, but... um. <clears throat> I think we all sort of settled on that one. There were a couple other ways we could have gone, but um, sure. I, know, I feel I, like that one probably meant you know something to each of us. Yeah, yeah. I um, at I mean, time. I, I think it's an amazing choice. I mean, I know that for me, I'm 42, <clears throat> so that kind of that album was uh, you know integral to my my young development. I mean, it came out when I was like 13, so 
How about yeah. you guys? Yeah, I'm the same age. I had uh, that was actually the first um, Nirvana record I kind of got into. I sort of missed the whole uh, Nevermind thing. I was a little bit too young. Um, but uh, yeah, when I first heard, um, I mean, I remember hearing the uh, when Nirvana played that uh, like Lithium on one of the like the movie awards or whatever. Chris threw the bass and hit himself. Uh-huh. But I remember like seeing that video for a while. But I still like it didn't like really click with me. Like I, like I knew it sounded cool. But then, like when I like the heart shaped box video, and then like getting the you know in utero on like cassette from you know one of those like uh, what was it like the BMG warehouse thing you get like Columbia House, like, Columbia House for, like sure. seven pen, like seven cassettes for a penny or something. That was one of the first ones I got. You know, from there on, I was like, oh my god, this is so cool. You know? Yeah, well, and well, I well, still feel this way. You know, I remember. I agree. Um, so, what were you listening to at that time? I mean, obviously, you know, you're around 13 years old. I was just starting to get into, you know, music and like even realized that it was like a, a thing that, you know, like the songs you would hear on the radio, even if it was just like bad, you know, pop radio or top 40 or whatever, like that there were whole albums behind like the songs. And like, you know, as you like grow up and, you know, learn things, um, <laughs> you know, so like buying like tapes, uh, I mean, I, 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 that was really one of the first ones that I, you know, had other than like recording things off the radio that were just like funny songs, I guess, that they might have been playing at the time. Sure. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but I, I really can't say I was into much before that. You know. Okay, that's cool. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's that's what I, I like to ask about these things because it's uh, everyone's different how, you know, kind of like what their introduction into music was like. Um, uh, how about you, Mike? What was uh, What's your experience with this album and, and the band Nirvana? Well, as the drummer, it makes the the record stands for itself because it's such a good drums record. Oh yeah, you know, with the, the, the Steve Albini production and Dave Grohl playing. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, I think what did it for me was just I remember getting the CD when I was I'm, I'm pretty much the same age as Pat, and getting the CD and um, hearing Settle Apprentice, the second song that starts with drums, mm-hmm. and um, I just. I just was obsessed with it after that. Yeah. Figuring out what are, what is drums and how can you figure out how to play them. Yeah, right. I mean, so you didn't have any experience playing any music at that point? You weren't playing with any uh, instruments? Uh, I was. I actually was learning guitar at the time. Uh, so that guitar is my first instrument, but I've always just been listening to the drummer. And I think it's because, specifically because of that album and the drumming on, on that album. Sure. Yeah, no, it's uh, actually I don't play drums, but I like to play drums. Like I like to play around with them, and uh, <clears throat> and the Nirvana albums are the are my go to just for practice because they're just like mm-hmm. they're fun, they're easy, they're just you hit so hard, you know, mm-hmm. it's great. Uh, and so Matt, how about yourself? What's your what was your introduction like? Um, so I'm a little older, I'm four six. Okay. Um, so I, I was in high school when Nevermind came out. And um, I think by the time In Utero came out, it was like a little dismissive of Nirvana, but like uh, In, In Utero was the one that like you couldn't deny how good that record was, you know, because I already moved on to like underground punk rock, garage punk. I was into like new bomb tarps and stuff by then and all those like 90s garage punk bands but like in, in utero just 
um, it, it, it was different. It hit way harder, you know, and sure. even, even, even us, you know, in kind of our high school being kind of jaded, um, we still, you know, the, the friends I used to hang out with, we, we couldn't, uh, couldn't deny how good that record was. Yeah. So, I mean, you were saying how you were a little dismissive of, uh, of in utero, uh, or at least like, never mind when it came out, you were in high school. Um, you already had a sense of like kind of what garage rock or punk rock music was, I think, or. Yeah. I mean, you know, by, by the time I was in high school, I was listening to. It was early, early nineties. So naked Ray Gun, bad religion, and misfits and dead Kennedys and all, all the like gateway punk bands from that era, you know, I mean, I already right. was aware of that, a lot of that stuff. Um, and it was like stuff that you couldn't hear on MTV or anything. And right. Kind of, you know, that it, it was that underground kind of cred thing. And it was like, oh, you know, I think that's why we were a little dismissive of a band like Nirvana at the yeah. time. That um, totally makes sense. Yeah. Because, like, all the kids that, you know, used to make fun of us for listening to like punk rock in high school, a year later, you know, they were wearing Nirvana t shirts and like listening to Nirvana records. So it, it, it was a weird, like, cultural shift around that time you right. know yeah um but yeah in utero was the one that just like you couldn't deny how good it was and and, and it was also my introduction like steve albini because so i do a lot of recording too um actually recorded the t-top stuff so um it, i was also into like uh some of the amrap stuff like the stuff in chicago so i, I knew like jesus lizard as well at that time so like that production style kind of stuck with me too, like the mm -hmm. drum sounds. And even back then, I don't think I really knew, you know, who was like behind the boards and who was doing those recordings. Um, it's something I became, became aware of like a little bit later on, but um, it was definitely a formative experience as far as like the kind of aesthetic, the kind of like sonic aesthetic that I would be drawn to later later on and you know my sure. musical career so to speak or whatever. right yeah i mean if you didn't know who yeah. steve albini was at the time i mean obviously this was a great introduction and then you know uh as you get older and kind of develop and learn more about music and kind of explore more more bands and stuff like that you realize oh he's been all over yeah. all of these records which are amazing um you know obviously uh kurt cobain was a huge uh proponent to advocate for the smaller bands you know he was always i remember you know i remember as being like an 11 year old when never never mind came out thinking like oh this guy is so cool he's like telling me about all of these bands that i should know about that he likes you know uh that i would have never heard about otherwise so i mean that that's pretty cool and and it it uh, it leads into something like a bigger topic that i kind of wanted to talk to you about is uh, the whole idea about noise rock um like what would what you what is your thoughts on on what noise rock is today? I don't know, it's uh first of all, I don't you know it's hard for me to categorize I don't like to um you know try to pigeonhole something too much or try to define something, I guess like too specifically as far as like to me, you know, a rock band is a rock band. If there's a little bit of noise rock to it, like I'm not gonna you know, put them in a whole different category, you know, or if, if there's like a little bit of noise 
I, I'm really not even sure. I mean, it's a good question. I'm not really sure like what the definition of you know noise rock is, but you know when you're listening to something and you hear like a little bit of extra extra you know noise and like there's some like screaming and something sounds like there's like either a pipe broken or you know water running that shouldn't be <laughs> like something yeah. you know with a bunch of static behind it. Uh, you know that's sure. kind of easy to point out as like noise rock. Um, so there's you know, some, a little bit it. of a chaotic element to, to rock music. Yeah, 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 definitely. Right. But it's it's like any other subgenre. It's hard to like you know you could argue you know for hours over like who fits in what category. But right, you know. right. Well, because what I'm learning, you know, I've been uh, obviously listening to like all or you know good portion of the bands that are going to be uh, participating uh, performing at the No Coast Fest in uh, in Texas that uh, they're all kind of different, you know? I mean, like, yeah. uh, as far as, like, you know, calling this a noise rock fest, which, you know, I'm not opposed to. I I, I consider myself to like noise rock music. Yeah. Um, it's just interesting to see kind of all of the different interpretations that 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 these bands can kind of fall under this, you know, this, uh, you know, uniform umbrella. Yeah. I think noise rock as a term is interesting because... If you take the, the ratio of noise to rock in most of those bands, the rock is way higher than the noise part. Unless you're talking about Sonic Youth or something who literally makes noise. Right. So it's kind of like, like people used to always call the Jesus Lizard noise rock. And to me, they're like Led Zeppelin. I mean, they're incredible musicians and it's very musical and not noisy. So I always just right. thought it was interesting. Yeah. Um, let me let me ask you this. Uh, so... You know, I was reading a lot about Nirvana over the past uh, a week, and um, it just—I I found it interesting that at at the time Nirvana broke, they broke, and they they kind of coined not them specifically, but they were kind of like pigeonholed into this uh, category of grunge, which you know now we don't ever really talk about, but it uh, became synonymous with them, and uh, almost like every other rock band at that time that was kind of uh, you know peers with Nirvana. Um, do you think noise rock is like the modern day grunge equivalent? Yeah. Really? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but again, that's all just what somebody else wants to call it, I, I guess. I, I don't think noise yeah. rock is new. Like, noise rock was around in the 90s, though. I mean, yeah, noise all, rock all that AMRAP existed. Stuff. Yeah, like the AMRAP stuff. Right. Was, was it being called like, noise rock back in the 90s? Because I don't remember it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think they it always has been. I mean, I'm you know for me like looking back on that stuff, you know, I've learned about all those bands later because you know I kind of grew up away from anywhere where anyone was listening to anything remotely, <laughs> you know, decent. Right. So it took me a while to catch on, but um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that term was being used. You know, it, it, even I, I, I want to say I remember it. Yeah. Okay. Back then, but I mean, it's. It's not the same that it is now. Bands um, as, as now, one of the things I've noticed is like a band like Mets or something like that. Um, sure. they, they have this knack, like the good ones, they have, the, they have the, this knack for pulling all these different influences and you can hear really specific stuff in all their, um, you know, in their music. And they just throw it all in a blender and like something comes out and it's, it's it's so like well put together, but also you can hear like all you, know, you can hear all the the '90s noise rock stuff, the AMRAP stuff. You can hear the like, melody. You can hear like 
post punk elements in there. You yeah, can hear hooks. like right. Yeah. Hooks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's that's what impresses me about like bands that are doing it well is is how seamlessly they can combine all these different elements uh, from all these like different genres that like might seemingly not have anything like a, not a, not a relation to each other. I mean, like you know wire like a band like a post-punk band like wire thrown together in a blender blender with like you know jesus lizard or something like that like you would think that wouldn't make sense but somehow they pull it off and that that impresses me hmm. yeah i always I, thought grunge was a weird term you know anyway i mean especially after you like you you sort of you know see some interviews or read some things about some of those bands or like watch hype or whatever and they realize that you know like grunge was just sort of like a tagline to sell more records and more clothes and stuff because you know none of the people that uh you know were being called grunge really you know seem to love the phrase anyway yeah well i guess it's the whole yeah. idea of like pigeonholing uh any band into like uh lumping them into a category like that you know and, and grunge of all things it was just kind of like this uh it didn't seem to to mean anything i don't even know exactly where the term came from i mean do, do you do you remember like where maybe grunge was uh was like kind of... mud honey yeah, some, some kind of sub pop something maybe. they were either the first ones to use it or the, the first ones that got described <laughs> I actually always thought it was kind of a good term for like mm -hmm. it kind of it kind of is pretty does a good job of describing what a lot of music kind of sounds like yeah grunge. i mean it kind of it kind of led you to know what to expect yeah. if someone said oh they're a grunge yeah. band you know yeah i think so yeah. it's like if someone says stop you know what it's going to sound like right right well, so well, what about noise rock? Do you think that that it's a kind of a good uh, catch-all for for what you you guys are like doing now? I think noise rock is a good term for something that is a style like bands that have so many styles that it's impossible to like. But but they their 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 kind of main common denominator is just like you know independence, you know, putting mm. their music out independently and playing, you know, yeah. Well, that that's an interesting point because actually, um, one of the questions I had for you about this album because uh, you know I, I loved it too, and I was listening to it again recently, and I was kind of like realizing that you know okay, so I listened to this when I was thirteen. I didn't know anything about punk rock music or noise rock music for the most part back then, um, and you know listening to it now with kind of like a more fresh ear. Um, I was wondering, do you think that this is like the first noise rock album to ever break mainstream? Probably, I guess. I mean, nothing else this noisy was that popular until this. You can make some arguments that Jimi Hendrix is pretty noisy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. It makes a lot of noise. Especially live, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, is this point. record that noisy? Like but that, no one ever caught no no one ever uh, categorizes Jimi Hendrix as noise rock. They they, they yeah. might say psychedelic at, at best. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do I you think say, Nirvana could be a noise rock band? I would say they have about as much of a noisy element as like Jimi Hendrix, like as Electric Ladyland does. Yeah, I, like, most of Nirvana is like pretty tuneful and hooky. Like they they kind of dip into the noisy stuff, at least in utero. There, there's like one or two songs that are almost almost sound like token like noisy songs like the um torrents yeah, yeah yeah they almost sound you know like milk or, or just very ape even one of those two yeah 
but I, there, there's, there's a pretty strong sense of, of melody too. And, and pretty like good songwriting. And yeah, there sure is. I think that's more of the defining element in Nirvana than yeah, the, the noisy stuff's just seasoning. They just kind of throw off top, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's really not even all that much like extra noise. I don't think thrown in, I mean, it's, it's, it's a noisy record for a major label, you know, giant, you know, biggest band in the world at the time. Right. Record. I mean, it's pretty noisy from that aspect, but, you know, when you compare it to like, you know, Jesus Lizard or, you know, some other, you know, AMRAP bands at the time, it's not, it's not all that noisy, you know. Wait, Bundle Surface did get pretty famous with that one song too. Mm. Yeah, that, that was actually yeah. a breakthrough of noise. I would say there's more noise on that, on those yeah, two major labels. Bundle Surface. Like Bundle Surface like yeah, but, th but those weren't nearly as popular as this one. No. No, true. That was there. They, people would consider that a one-year one suppose. Yeah, yeah. People don't really, they only know them, I guess, from the you know, video. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and it was different style, too. I mean, like, that song, Pepper, I believe it was what it was called, right? Yeah. Does it, it wasn't really representative of what the Butthole Surfers did no. In, no. In, in reality, you know? Yeah, yeah that's of, why they didn't get more famous. People delved into their back catalog in there and horrified. <laughs> yeah, right. Awesome. You found a lot. You found yeah. a lot of butthole surfer right. CDs on the used racks when you went to the record stores. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um. So I mean, like, uh, now, see, because I was I was looking at this in a very different way, and I and I wonder if you can if you can kind of like see where I'm coming from, but like the whole coined grunge term in the '90s, and then all this like, explosion of all these bands from Seattle specifically that uh, that kind of like you know, uh, heralded all the praise from, from that label. Um, I feel like it's kind of juxtaposition to, to noise, what noise rock is now. I mean, do you think like noise rock has the potential to like have at least one band from the, from the, you know, noise rock demographic to sail to the top and actually like achieve mainstream success? No. What about idols? Do you think they did? Like they like idols yeah, they kind of fit, don't they? I would think it was a noise rock. Yeah. Kinda. What's what's mainstream success too? Like, I, I would put it, I would say I hear noise rock elements of idols. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Elements. Can yeah. idols get as big as Machine Gun Kelly? <laughs> Oof. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they seem to be doing pretty good already. I mean, it's it's weird. Yeah. It's it's well, kind of hard. My question, like, what what's your measurement though for? mainstream success though mainstream yeah. success i, I would mean, imagine you're talking about an iconic record that people talk about 20 years later or you just like a, make a successful record for the time yeah i think successful record for the time like like pepper by the butthole surfers is a good example you know like you consider it a one-hit wonder because they had that one song that a lot of people knew because it had you know uh radio airplay mtv airplay um and so it kind of reached a broader audience um you know, Nirvana, I mean, Nirvana was huge. Nirvana was like the top tier of, you know, musical success. Um, I consider success to be kind of, uh, I mean, I personally, I consider it like being able to live off of it. You know, like if you can do that as your job. It sounds fair, yeah. Um, but I don't think that that's like a mainstream success. I think mainstream success, you have to have at least like a gold record or something like that, which means 500,000 sales, at least in the US. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it does seem like maybe people are a little bit more timid now than they used to be 20 years ago as far as accepting more extreme music. Yeah. But Did you say timid? They're growing up, but I have faith. I have faith in people growing up that they're going to yeah. the torch will get past them and they'll do something good with it. 
Right. I'm, I'm a little more pessimistic. Now. I don't think. Uh, <laughs> I think there are great bands out there. I think I, well, there are. There are. But as far as mainstream success, like, yeah, but those great bands getting you know huge or even like, yeah, ma- mainstream mainstream success. If you know, if you want to talk about like whatever, a lot of plays on Spotify or some a lot of records or whatever. It's just it's so mainstream music is so formulaic and watered down. And, uh, you know, focus group tested. Yeah, <laughs> it was that's like that you know, it's when Nirvana came along. That's why, you know. Yeah, but that's why that's part of the reason they're so cool. It was such an organic thing to break through all of the bullshit. It was a know. different environment too. And, it, it was not quite. And plus, people were ready. I, I you know, at, at the time, I, I, mean, I don't think there'll ever be another band like Nirvana just like bust everything wide open. I don't think it's no. possible. No, yeah. I don't. I don't think huh. it's possible at all. Okay. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's basically exactly get big, sure, and play, you know, to you know several thousand, you know, seats or whatever standing right. the night, but they're not gonna get to become the biggest rock band in the world. I don't I don't know, you know, some like a bunch of like you know, punk kids from some nowhere town are gonna like blow it up like that again. I don't right, right. I, I'm what? I'm I just don't see it happening. Right. You know what? You're yeah, you actually kind of uh, opened my eyes to something is that I don't I don't know if like it's possible for any band to really succeed at a massive like mainstream success level like cuz it's either it's cuz it's either you're like, you know, like Post Malone and like Jay-Z like high up there cuz then even like the successful bands right now, like successful noise rock bands as of the moment. You mentioned Idols, you mentioned Mets. Um Lightning Bolt is probably a good example. Like these bands that can, you know, pack a pretty good size room. They, you know, obviously seem to be selling some some a good amount of records, but they'll and and they can live off of their their work. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if any band can actually kind of get past that point anymore. You know, you know how it could happen if they end up on like you know some some tv show yeah like or, like, or like the king Kong barbecue show song it's like yeah 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 yeah. yeah 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 you need you need you need like some kind of freak like break like the way you know right metallica, put them metallica show on that episode of stranger things and all of a sudden like everybody cared about metallica right yeah but they already that have they already Kate Bush. Mess. <laughs> Kate Bush, yeah oh god yeah it can rip no one never not cared about metallica <laughs> well yeah but some yeah. people would argue, you know, that there was plenty of people that, you know, always uh, admired Kate Bush, but uh, I'm not one of those people. I don't That's know. That's sure, sure. But I, have, I have good memories of Kate Bush. I, like Kate Bush. I don't no. remember anything Kate about her, really, there. actually, to be honest. I mean, I can't name one of her songs for the life of me. I can't. Running Up That Hill is the one that everyone loves so much. And the entire Lionheart record is pretty good. I listen to it. Oh, Lionheart? Is that what I, you're I, I took mushrooms one time and drove across the door to Minnesota and listened to a bunch of Kate Bush. <laughs> <laughs> I got good memories of it. So. Oh, that's that's why you're in my heart. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's a good memory. Thanks. Um, all right. Well, why don't we just get into this record a little bit? Uh, we're not going to go over the entire album. Um, just got a, a, few, a few like bullet points to mention of, uh, of some tracks down the list. Um, but the first song is Serve the Servants.
great opening track, right? Um, yeah, I love, I love that song so much because of the drumstick in, intro that they left in. I right. love that since the first time I ever heard it on yeah. 12, 13, wherever I was, I don't know. Yeah. I just love that you can hear the and click the song in. I, I agree. And there's a lot of like little weird, like, uh, you know, in room noises that you hear a lot of like weird mm-hmm. little mistakes that would normally be kind of brushed out of a, a major release like this. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that is a, a great one. Um, let's see what I have here is uh, that uh, John Mulvey of the NME wrote that uh, any album that kicks off with a song as beautifully bludgeoned as serve the servants and a line as tellingly funny as teenage angst has paid off. Well, now I'm bored and old must have something going for it. Um, but here, at least Nirvana metaphorically wiped their arses of old nevermind sleeves with a little wit to to leave in the whinging bitterness. That's a little, that's a mouthful. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, you know, yeah. so essentially, because Nirvana wanted to, you know, kind of get away from the whole nevermind thing and kind of that clean, polished sound. They wanted to get a, a raw and more... Uh, sound more true to what they of the style of music they wanted to be in you know and, yeah it was um, intentional you know for them to break away you know and make that type of a statement absolutely right and then then they did it and so that this is the perfect yeah. you know this oh, yeah. uh, critic was kind of just praising that as as that they did it um yeah. so now i know that there's no attack like no stigma attached to your band uh that that you feel like you need to shed but uh, but how does your latest album, Staring at a Static Screen, compared to the last? This one's way better, I think. Um, I don't the know. Drumming just... on this record is so much better. <laughs> Production, <laughs> drumming on the last record is just yeah. unlistenable. Yeah, it's, it's all around, top to bottom. It's, 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 yeah, it's different band sounds incredible, yeah. <laughs> it really is basically like a different band. It's, yeah, I mean, the band's gone through several you know, lineups and things since then. And um do you mean just since the last LP? Or yeah. the, the LP was the first thing we put out in 2015. I had a few like EPs on the way. But yeah, this I don't know, this I think um we were able to uh with this one, I don't know how to say this not sound you know weird, but like realize more of like the vision of like, you know, what I, you know, I want to go for as far as like you know louder, noisier drums, and plus uh, drums and you know everything, just just production and um, uh, you know just all of it. But also we had you know uh, a lot of songs you know ready to go, more songs I think ready to go at the time we recorded this one, uh, which now has been uh, probably three or four years ago, possibly I'm not even sure. Uh, but the first one was so a little more hastily strewn together, I think, just to try to get yeah. something out when we had the opportunity to. And okay. looking back, you know, maybe we would have thrown a few different things or more things on there. Yeah. But so, so, just to be clear, too, we were totally joking about like, <laughs> saying the drumming and the brush. <laughs> that, that was a joke. No, I like yeah. it, no, we're not trying to throw shade on This is the first record I've played over. Yeah, right. Well, because I, I thought, yeah, I think there was a band change, right? Like, are, like did you guys yeah. all play? You guys didn't play on the last record. No. No, this this the static screen record is the only one the three of us are on. Um, okay, even in comparison to the splits and EPs you did. 
Yeah, those are all with different drummers and a uh, different bass player. Okay. I mean, I think there's, uh, like I said, I think the, the songs on Static Screen are a little more maybe thought out and well put together, you know, mm. since, um, you know, if we're comparing to the first record. Uh, right. Didn't you say you were listening to, like, a lot of sleep or, like, you were trying to write, like, not during well for the one for the ten inch day. yeah I think sleep may have influenced the song on ten inch record but um I think it's just more dynamic so you know go more quiet and loud as opposed to maybe some of the older stuff that's just all loud hmm okay. yeah yeah well it's a great record let me just start off by saying that I mean thank you. Uh, I've been listening to it and and it's an awesome record. And as a matter of fact, that reminds me, um, are you guys in fact going to be opening the festival? I believe so. Yeah. I think we play first on Thursday night. Wow. That's kind of a lot of pressure, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) First band on the the big fest. I mean, I'm looking at it more like fun than pressure. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It'll just be, I mean, at this point I kind of, you know, I mean, I hope everything goes well, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm very pessimistic and I'm, you know, in my head, I'm thinking there's, you know, I'm just imagining all the million things that can even pre- uh, prevent us from getting there, you know, oh yeah, before yeah. I can allow myself to, to worry about actually playing it. Right, right. Well, <laughs> I mean, I think that you're, I think your music's awesome. I think that you guys are Thanks. an extremely exciting band. So I think that Thanks. having the opening slot is probably the best way to kind of kick off the show, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy with it. We're just happy to be a part of it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I think, I mean, seems to be a lot of excitement about the festival. Yeah, I think uh, so. I mean, a great uh, band's playing. You know, there are. And you know what? And that's kind of like goes back to what I was saying before about like the, the whole like noise rock thing is that, you know, I, I when has there ever even been a noise rock festival in the past? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, AMREP, I guess, has done some, you know, things out in you know, Minneapolis or whatever, but, um, and I think Jeff's been doing this specific one for, I don't know if it, how often it happened during, you know, the two heavy COVID years, but uh, I think he did it, I think this is at least a third, maybe, I'm not okay. 100% sure, time yeah. on this. But, I'll have to ask him myself, but uh, I, I'm not sure, but yeah, the, it's definitely early into it, and I just think it's great that it has the possibility to have a festival, you know, that, that oh, yeah, can actually great. even do that. Yeah, and so. being that it's four days, I don't think it's ever been four days before. So I think he's always capped it at three, but you know, he, he's put on the extra day this year. But yeah, it's but awesome. yeah, it's uh, you know, if everything goes well, you know, we get there and everything. Uh, so yeah, it's gonna be a blast. It'll be great. I think so, man. I agree. All right, well, let's uh, <clears throat> let's move on to the next song, Scentless Apprentice. It's the, it's the drum beat that I learned how to play drums with easily. And I could probably play it in my sleep. Just from yeah. Practicing it over and over and over again. Yeah, man, I love it. I mean, it's so so good. Uh, I love 
that Dave Grohl has like such a tasteful style of playing. Like I know that he he always kind of said that they try that he and Kurt kind of both specifically said, let's try to make this music easy, you know, like make it as simple as possible, but still compelling and heavy and all that. But it's just like those little things, like just that first measure of the drum beat, like the pattern goes like he hits on the snare. And then like the fourth one, he hits like a like on the snare and floor tom or tom or something mm-hmm. like that. Like it's a weird yeah. flam. Exactly. You know, it's just it's so awesome. I love it. Yeah, it's it's a it's one of those great mysteries, mysterious things to listen to when you're young and you're trying to figure out what you're hearing. You know? Right. <clears throat> Would yeah, you say Dave Grohl is the uh, John Bonham of his uh, generation? Of the grunge era? Um, I would say absolutely. I, mean, I would say he certainly yeah. wants to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just like the fact that he makes up drum parts too. You know, like, a lot of people keep the beat or a lot of people are kind of real busy, but he plays something that's like a part. It's you know almost like the guitar to play a part. So it's kind of, I think that's why it's more interesting. Mm. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've always loved you know, that Nirvana drumming. Right. Yeah, I, I, I do, too. Um, I think that that's kind of something that I think is incorporated or at least like, you know, kind of um, maybe part of the discussion of like noise rock is like the way that bands sound, because like, you know, they specifically went to Steve Albini for for the production to get the sound that they wanted because they kind of get more of like the live sound that they that would represent their band better. And so you got those drums. Those are very kind of like typical of like noise rock bands is that uh, kind of not necessarily in the front, but definitely um, heavier, definitely more accentuated, you know, I don't want to say tinny, but just booming. Um, bass, obviously, uh, like a good low end, but a little little chunky, a little like uh, trebly, you know, so you can kind of like hear the strings kind of like clanking. Um, and then obviously the guitar, it depends on the guitar player, but, uh, you know, I think it's very typical for aluminum neck, Travis Bean style guitar players that's kind of synonymous with noise rock but uh <clears throat> i mean kurt didn't play one obviously you could get away with a stratocaster or something just uh weird high ends weird noisy solos stuff like that yeah i actually had uh not the brag but uh had the privilege of recording in that studio where they recorded oh, the pachyderm pachyderm studios in oh, the, cool. the room where he recorded his guitar has is like uh not non-parallel walls one of the walls is just completely marble or granite or something just like polished smooth stone really? and so it's, you, you get and if you play guitar in there you can almost hear like you can always hear this the similar echo like how they recorded the room you know in that record if you just kind of like are playing in the right spot it's really just kind of ghostly and awesome to just stand yeah. there and hear it you know? right cool it yeah. sounds like it i mean that that's yeah, interesting it's, it's, as hell it's in there, so it's... yeah it's kind of like recording in a in a bathroom right you get all that kind of like weird exactly. natural reverb yeah, yeah. yeah. but it's that's like awesome. it, now it's purposely not parallel so you get this non-equal you know sound ricochet whatever you would call it and uh, just but it sounds very particular hmm. yes. interesting yeah. And do they use that room specifically for guitar all the time, or are they just kind of like what? Mm-hmm. I know that trying? they did for that record. Like for they they use that that room to yeah to do all the like lead lead parts and, and rhythm parts and everything. Oh, okay. Like when you go there, everybody was like, you know, has all the answers that you, in the world that you have about the recording session of in utero. So right. uh, yeah. 
and walk you through everything. Hmm. Cool, man. That sounds great. What a great experience. Um, all right. So Scentless Apprentice, uh, this song represents a new era of songwriting for Kurt. Uh, the song is based on the novel Perfume by Patrick Suskind. And, uh, and so lyrically, That's Matt's favorite book. <laughs> is it really? Have you read it? Yeah. No? You have, you have you watched the movie? <laughs> I guess they no. made a movie about it too with, uh, what's her um, name? Can't remember her name. That beautiful blonde from King Kong. Jessica. Owen Wilson? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I can't remember. Jessica Lang? Is that right? Jessica Lang, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. The, the original, the King Kong from the 70s with uh, the dude. 70s. Yeah, not the not the 50s or 40s one, whichever one it was. Um, so let's see. So it keeps fairly true to that story in the in a poetic way. Uh, whereas prior, he would work mostly with cut-ups of pieces of random poems and lyric fragments he had. Um, so what do you think was the farthest reach for you on your latest album? Like, where where, where is your, like, least comfort level? Like, where was your, your farthest reach on, rec on the record? Um, probably include, well, I don't know. It's <laughs> a good question. Yeah. Uh, it's the first song on the second side. Um, <laughs> start with the first song on the second side is uh, All Black Crown, right? Oh, yeah, probably that song. I don't know, that's not that's that's actually the last song on the first side. Um, God, I don't know, I and mean, that's a tough question to answer. I mean, on any given day, I you know hate everything and think everything's too far of a reach, <laughs> right. but uh, I mean, there's there's songs on there that we don't really play uh, anymore, but not because. I don't know. As far as answering, uh, you know, what was too far of a reach, I'm not 100% yeah. sure what I would consider. What the middle source bridge part of Burn? This is our song, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is like, like a we weird. Have, it's not like it's bad, but we're just like trying to do a bunch of stuff to try to give it more. Yeah, and we sort of. Substance or something. Yeah, and it, it kind of. I hope it doesn't come across as like a weird, like, breakdown part. It, it sort of doesn't, in hindsight, but it's kind of not the way I meant it at the time. Right. I guess yeah. that would be, you know, worth more than an answer to. Uh, you know, like, I, I guess maybe stuff like that is, is a bit of a reach. And sometimes I do think about it when I'm, you know, when we're playing the song. What do we struggle the most with trying to get you like on like vocal taste and stuff? Yeah, I mean, there's always yeah. lyrics that I will second and third guess forever. Um, oh sure, sure, I'm sure. Yeah. But but as far as like yeah, as far as like yeah, kind of getting it down on record, like what do you think was the hardest part about it? Probably getting the vocals right, or at least to a place that I liked. I mean, that's always the hardest part for me, anyway. Mm -hmm. Um. What about like tracks like Full Blown, Full Blown Woman and Feathers? Like, so those are probably the noisiest, kind of like most yeah. like tracks yeah. on the record. Hmm. I don't remember anything particularly difficult about like tracking those vocals, but did you struggle with them? It's, uh, you know, in, in some ways, sure. It's, it's not like I just walk in and knock it out and like, you know, one take and it's like, that's nah, over, you know? So, I mean, there's always a lot of um, rethinking while doing the vocals and, you know, 
Sure. Yeah. I feel Changing like things and rewriting. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of pressure on the singers at all the time because it's like that's the like the last thing you do. You know, it's just yeah. like you just like you have an awesome record and then you're like, oh now I gotta fuck this up and like sing on this. It's great. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> all right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's good. That's a. I'll I'll look into those songs again. I'll listen, I'll give them another listen and see what I what I come up with as far as like, you know, how they how I perceive them now with your input. Okay. Um all right, so let's move on to the next song, Heart Shaped Box. I don't I really give like it. I don't really. Yeah, I was done into Heart Shaped Box. I thought that was like the weakest song I've ever heard. That one. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> yeah, I don't I love really that song. It's either. incredible. Uh, you think well, every time it comes on in the radio and like whatever you know, the local uh, rock radio station, it's it's it, it still stands out like. Oh yeah, it's way, way more. And it's, way it's, it's like appalling that that was like a number one song when you think about what you hear on as number one song now what, like, what is it yeah i don't know oh god I'm right. it's definitely not someone talking about eating cancer <laughs> yeah i know to get those lyrics on the radio that's pretty that was that was cool guitar yeah, right. solo was like very abrasive sounding and yeah. it's like a, you know mm. absolutely cool about to get all the guitar solos on on uh not all of them but most of them on in utero are just you know, random noise, whatever that he's making. So it's impossible to learn what, what's happening. So when you're like listening to it when you're younger, you're just trying to figure out how to how to play those parts that are unplayable. And sometimes you come up with something interesting on your own. You know? yeah. Mm, yeah, that's kind of uh, leads into kind of songwriting for the most part. You know, sometimes yeah, you, you much, try to yeah. learn something and you can, and you're just mm-hmm. like, oh, that's this sounds cool too. I'll just yeah. use this. Yeah, this is the way my dumb hands do it. So I guess yeah. nothing else. Sure. So I, I don't really have anything to say about this song. You know, I don't I mean, like it's their biggest song on the record, you know, but uh, but there's one thing that sticks out to this song about me, which is actually from my own personal history, was that um, I was never really good in school, like in high school. I, I by the time I reached my senior year, I nearly flunked out. Like I just didn't give a shit anymore. I was just so fed up with everything. But I had a few teachers that really kind of stuck out to me and usually you know, did or said something that kind of stuck out to me. And usually for some odd reason, it always had to do with Nirvana. So uh, in my senior year, my creative writing teacher, this uh, woman named Miss Morenzi, uh, and bless her wherever she is. Cool. I, I love, I loved her and I still love her. I don't know what she's doing anymore. I don't know where she is, but she had pointed out in our creative writing class that lyrics in this song, uh, one of the lyrics is cut myself on angel hair and baby's breath which I remember her asking the class, she was just like, what do you, what do you think this means? Like, what do you think he's saying when he, when, when I read you these lyrics and then everyone, no one knew everyone was just like, uh, I don't, um, no, I don't really know. And she was just like, I'm, I'm sensitive. I'm fragile. I'm delicate. Like if I can cut myself on angel's hair, like what is angel's hair? It's a, you know, fragile, thin, you know, fine pasta, you know, baby's breath. It's just like, what's softer than that? Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I think any of his lyrics are open to interpretation. You know? Of course, yeah. I and there's a lot to interpret on this record. That way. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can interpret things. But... I don't need to be laughing at your question. I was just That's thinking a... of terrible things that I could say that to the question, what's softer than baby's breath? I won't say anything. <laughs> 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 juxtapositioning to, you know, just like putting it in a possible 
situation like getting cut on something that you can't, you know, just sure, getting I mean, cut on or something too soft, you know. Right, right. But I, I mean, Dark I think that it needed... two things against each other as, as cool lyrics. But guy, he was just so able to do that in a way that all of his lyrics just sounded so cool. And like, even, even if you didn't know like what he was talking about, it was just like, oh yeah, that's that's why it's like the, like the coolest thing I've ever heard. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm gonna scribble it on all of my notebooks. You know. <laughs> Yeah, man. No, I agree. I, I, I've always loved it. Don't know if I can actually honestly say I've ever understood it, like everything, but um, mm-hmm. as you said, you know, it's all open to interpretation. You know, you pull out whatever you want, really, yeah. whatever makes you feel right. Yeah. Um. So next song, Rate Me. I don't want to cover that song. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's been beaten to death, really. Um, yeah. yeah. Not much to say about it. Um, so then after that is Francis Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle. That's a great one. Yeah, yeah awesome. I love that song. Yeah. Catchy. I think what I always uh, love is the hidden um, wood blocks in, that, that lead out from every chorus into every verse. Oh, yeah. If you listen to it next time, listen to it. There's, there's wood blocks back there. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It, I, I always nice kind of thought it, I thought it was like Toy Story like or that. something. Or, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's, there is some weird stuff in here. I mean, for the most part, for being like a really raw record, I mean, for the most part, this was recorded all live, but they did do some weird like overdubs that were yeah. kind of hard to, to to place, I think. Uh, that one being one, there was some, uh, I believe there was some tambourine and there was certain different. I was just going to say, the tambourine placement in this song is top notch, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's, um, I don't have anything for that song either. So the next song would be Dumb. I'm not like down, back in the town. The sun is gone, I had a light. The day is done, and I'm having fun. I think I'm dumb, maybe just happy. So, all right, so this song is kind of, this is kind of, you know, the first sad track on the record. I think it's great. I mean, I think I have a soft spot in my heart for for a ballad. I love the quality of his voice in this song. I just thought of the way he sings it. Yeah. It's kind of a, there's there's like a a crack or a blemish or something in that last verse he sings. I always like that part. Mm. I agree. I mean, I I think it's a a very touching song. And, uh, And Kurt's daughter, Frances Bean Cobain, actually offered her own interpretation of this song in an interview with Rolling Stone. <clears throat> saying, uh, I cry every time I hear that song. It's a stripped-down version of Kurt's perception of himself, of himself on drugs, off drugs, feeling inadequate, to be uh, titled The Voice of a Generation. Um, I have to say I agree with that sentiment. I mean, uh, as a matter of fact, the, the, the part I love most about this song is the weird dynamic at the end where you know, he, um, he sings the lyric, I think I'm dumb or maybe just happy. No. And there's this like kind of throughout the song, there's this back and forth of this like, well, you know, like, are am I dumb or am I just happy? Kind of implying like, well, being happy is kind of dumb, or vice versa, or like, you know, if you're if you're truly happy, you're being kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, it's hard to know exactly what he meant. 
I'm not going to disagree with his daughter, though. <laughs> but uh, DNA don't lie. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't. I mean, it it could. You know, one way he could interpret it is just like uh, like one of his like sly backhanded you know ways of saying that if you're you know happy, you don't really think about things enough, or you know, or yeah, it's just like a dumb redneck just like a kind of thing. Ignorance and bliss. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, he definitely was was quoted somewhere. I don't remember the quote exactly because I can paraphrase is that, uh, you know, like he wishes that he could be just as simple as everybody else and be like, you know, uh, entertained by like watching 10 hours of TV or something stupid yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so I guess it, it leads me to ask you the question, like, uh, would you rather be blissfully ignorant or painfully aware? Well, after being too painfully aware for too long i would <laughs> i would love to taste some blissful ignorance yeah but right. uh now i don't know what happened the worst is that you're painfully ignorant <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's just yeah um i mean to choose between i mean you'd have to i would i would i would rather not be dumb i suppose not that i'm a great scholar but i i, I would have to choose the more, more depressed answer. Painfully aware. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I don't see how you not be. I, I would take blissful ignorance. You have it. <laughs> I win. I win. <laughs> you win at life, man. That's all you need. Oh, it's great. No, I agree. I mean, you know, it, it's it's a fine balance, a delicate balance, you know, of like yeah. kind of trying to be up on things and kind of be aware of like all the horrible shit that's going on in the world and being able to yeah. process it without wanting to kill yourself? Yeah, that's the other part. It's so hard to just look at everything that's happening. Every day the news just gets worse, and it's like, oh, God. (laughs) Well, exactly. I mean, and that's what he lived, you know? I mean, that's, like, the thing. It's just, like, I mean, you know, you can say that his fame was kind of, you know, know, part of the problem because, I mean, you're under a microscope by people you don't even know. Like, you know, like... Yeah, to be... I mean, no one could imagine what it's like. Maybe very few people in the world could imagine what it's like to be that famous, you know, like all of a sudden from coming from a small town. I mean, that's, right. you know. I'm having some very real, like, internal conflicts about whether he actually wanted it to. I mean, I think that was a big struggle with, like, not being comfortable with it at all. There are a lot of people that get famous and love fame, yeah. or at least sure. like the idea of being famous, but maybe struggle with some, you know, invading the privacy stuff, but, like, I think, because he was, like, a, you know, he came up listening to punk rock. He was, like, a punk rock kid. Right. Now, he had, like, very, he was conflicted about, like, I hate myself for doing what I'm doing, but I also, like, want to be, like, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I actually read where I'm going with that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I read in a book, actually, by his, uh, by his former manager, uh, Danny Goldman, I believe his name was. Yeah, I read that book. Look, you right there. <laughs> Do you have it right there, really? Yeah, um, I have You know, yeah, it's like Kurt, Kurt was full of contradictions because, you know, obviously he wanted to, to live up to this, you know, punk rock aesthetic of being, you know, kind of uh, independent and grungy and, you know, kind of uh, DIY. But he would also kind of keep track of sales and stuff. Like he probably knew sales just as good, if not better, than his manager did. You know, like he oh, would really? correct I didn't people. Know that. Yeah, I mean, he was like on top of, you know, um, so it's, it's weird. I mean, like, you know, fame is one thing having to deal with like, you know, uh, invasion of privacy, privacy from people and so forth. But, um, 
Yeah, there's some benefits to it, I guess, you know. I feel like it's possible that heroin might muddy some of that up too a little bit. Yeah. Not to, I'm not drug shaming, I'm just saying that it's part of the equation, you know, at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that and like, you know, depression and mm-hmm. just like a, yeah, it just sure. costs boring too. Man. Yeah, they, they play a lot of shows. That, that, a lot, a lot that beats shows. you up. Right. That, that, it's a hard life to live, too. I've never done that much because I ran down the people fucking do it all the time. Probably a little bit easier with a lot of money though. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come out on, of a, on a bus that you're not afraid is gonna break down and if it does, you know, another one comes right off the long arm. They didn't start out that way. I mean no, they didn't no, really have a very long period. But if we're talking Boring. about like fame fame, I mean, you know, they shut straight up. True. Yeah, like instantly. They did, they did. That's gotta be a lot right. to deal with for anyone. Yeah, they're going to change venues in mid-tour to accommodate more people because of how fast they were yeah. yeah, popularity. You know? Right. Yeah, no, it must be a mind fuck. It's got to be a mind fuck, you know. Uh-huh. Right? It's, it's one thing to do it over all these years. I mean, like you know, even Mets that they're celebrating their tenth year anniversary, you know, and it's just like, and they're not at that point, you know, but they're still. I mean, they obviously have a, a level of success where they can kind of uh, know where they're going to be going as far as like you know the bigger venue, like you kind of know what their crowd's going to be yeah. Uh, instead of just like, you know, bootstrapping it, like get in the van, let's see who shows up tonight, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. But I mean, they started that way too, you know, all bands exactly. Too, I yeah. guess. But, right. But it, but it's like 10 years. That's like really gradual, you know, it's like they've uh, been yeah. on this trajectory. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like, but they, I, mean, I feel like they've been playing big shows for a while though. I mean, yeah, it's not like they're just starting to play huge shows. I mean, they, you know, obviously did like basements and stuff, you know, in Canada when they, you know, before they got on Sub Pop. But I think after Sub Pop, you know, they started getting more festivals and things, it seemed like. And then, you know, they, I mean, they did organically grow their fan base just mm-hmm. from being, you know, awesome. <laughs> you know, the first two records were made. Um, but yeah, they did, they're another band that just did a ton of touring, you know, just tons right. of shows. Yeah. That's, no, I know. It's really how you have to do it. Yeah, yeah I guess so. All right. Well, um, Let's see. Let's move on to the next side. We're, we're going to be on the B side of the record now, which uh, I personally prefer. I think this is the stronger side of the record if you're listening to this on a record. Yeah, I would agree. Although yeah. Sandless Apprentice, you know, yeah, I would agree though, as a whole. Yeah, and actually, that's kind of their thing. If you if you really think about their records, I mean, like thinking about uh, Nevermind, oh, yeah. the, the B side is the heavier rock side, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Same with Bleach. Yeah. Yeah, I, I that's just the way they they planned their records, I guess. But uh, so yeah, this side is great. Starts off with very ape. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's like, it starts at like I don't know if they just cut the tape so it starts in the middle in a weird way in the, in the middle of it playing the guitar riff, but like. It takes you. It, it, it takes you listen to it. It takes you like a couple of years of listening to it to know when the you know the, the drum part comes in and stuff. Because it's like, oh yeah, so it's I weird. think it's supposed to like throw you off it for some purpose. It's a weird off time signature. Like yeah. it's like a weird fill. It's like a like a half beat late or something. Yeah, I think in. it's a weird cut, isn't it? Different on the Albini mix. Using the Albini well, yeah, I, think mix, I think that they cut that that part, but they they just leave in this like uh, droning. Lead part is over top of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Hmm. The, and the Albini cut is incredible also. Have you listened to that? The, uh, I think I have, but I think it's re- been a while. Reissue from 2013. Yeah. yeah, I think I've listened to it like once. Maybe. A little bit different. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I've been yeah, listening to the to cool. the original, uh, the original. Yeah, the, the original one is the best. Is the best one. It, it is surprising. I was surprised that these mixes don't sound quite as cohesive or something. Yeah, it's the original. I forget. Was it Andy Wallace? Yeah, that who mixed. No, Steve Albini. Steve Albini originally mixed it, but then three tracks they had sent out to be remixed by Scott Litt, who uh, Scott famously yeah. works with REM. Oh yeah. So and it was all or the, the major one they tracks. Would be the radio songs, yeah. right? All the right. heart box and something else. Uh, no, Penny Royalty. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was the the poppier songs on the record. Yeah, they all kind of got that treatment. Mm. Um. So let's see. So nothing to really say about Very Ape. I mean, I just think that this whole B side is basically the epitome of noise rock, as far as like you know, its connection to whatever noise rock is really. Um. So the next song is Milk It. Don't really have anything for this song either. It's, I think Milk It might be my favorite song on the record. I love Milk It. Yeah. It's like the um, the epitome of like quiet, you know, quiet loud. Yeah, right. just the, yeah. the the power of the of the drum fills between when you know the doll steak test beat parts. Yeah, and the simplicity. Just, oh, yeah, oh, they're oh, so oh, simple. Oh, 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 craziness. It's just like some kind of smack something and then grab something. You know, it's so it's very very cool. Yeah, especially the drums. I mean, like it just that's yeah. that's what draws me to it every time. Is just like what just listening to what Dave's doing because like all those breaks. Yeah, like there's just the the kind of the what do they call that when you grab the symbol you kind of mute it yeah like choke it yeah yeah and just like oh it's so good um mm-hmm. so here here's a, a so joke here's a joke question is it doll steak or test meat which do you choose um <clears throat> i'm gonna go with doll steak because i don't really i don't, I don't really want to be experienced but it's a test <laughs> meat <laughs> yeah i would have to agree i suppose doll steak okay doll steak Unanimous. Like you guys deserve to be in a band. You're all unanimous. Yeah, you all agree on uh, everything. Did you say double steak? Uh, I didn't say. Are you gonna eat the test meat? Um, um, <laughs> I can't choose. I can't choose between them. Yeah. I guess the test meat is actual meat, at least instead of the doll steak being just a hunk of plastic. Yeah, you just don't know what you're gonna get. That's that's what yeah. it is. All right, so look, I'm gonna skip the other songs. I'm gonna skip Perennial T. Uh, Radio Friendly Unit Shifter, I love that song, and Tourette's as well. Both of those are my are two of my favorites. But I'm just mm-hmm. gonna skip right down to the end for uh, all apologies. Um, weak. Weak. <laughs> you think it's no, a weak I'm song? Totally just kidding. I mean, it's you know, it's it's a little softer for a record and a side that has a harder edge to it but right. you know, it's it's, it fits it's, it's an amazing beautiful great song you, you don't like the soft stuff you don't like that <laughs> i you know i i like plenty of soft and baby's breath for one. uh 
No, I mean, it's a great song. Really cool riff. I remember learning to play that, like, one of the first um, riffs I learned how to play when I was, like, learning all of the Nirvana songs. That's sort of how I learned how to play guitar, anyway. So, um... Nirvana. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, I learned how to play along to, like, all, you know, three or four records. And uh, sure. that's sort of, like, just went from there. I never took lessons. I just learned, like, with tablature books and, like, figuring things out. Okay, yeah. We were on peaceful drum fills, too. Yeah. You know, in the uh, very buried parts, the drum rolls. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, so I don't know about you guys. Um, I was uh, I was doing some reading uh to prepare for tonight to you know kind of like find out some research about this record and about the band. Um, I didn't think I was going to because I was just like I know this record. Fuck it, I'll just go in there and I'll just talk about this record because I love it and I know it. But um, so I was doing some reading and I was just like I really kind of got a little choked up. Because like eventually the books that I was reading, it got to that point where it's just like, you know, explaining his suicide and like kind of the the aftermath of that. And, you know, I just remember like looking at this one book, it was like the book of, from Rolling Stones compilation of all the interviews and stuff. And there's like the photo of like this girl just like crying and she's got like braces, you can see her braces and she's just like, you know, beside herself. And I uh, just I remember. That was me. Yeah, no, I remember when I was 14 and then getting the news and how fucking devastated I was. I mean, where, where were you guys when, when you heard? I was sitting in my parents' living room and I heard, I saw the <laughs> MTV news and right. Kurt Loder told me. Yeah. Right. I don't know if I remember the exact place I was. I mean, I'm sure I saw it on MTV at the time. I remember more actually where I, I was riding the, in the back of my stepfather's Jeep when I heard of his overdose in Rome on the radio. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. A couple months before that, a week before that, whatever it was. Yeah. I think that it was. was weird because I was like, oh man, what would happen if he died? That would be terrible. And then, right. Yeah. And then sure enough, yeah, then he finally does like shortly yeah. after. It's horrible. Yeah. It's terrible how it all works out, but you know, when. Obviously, they're going to point to that song, you know, because it. Yeah, it took on a I mean, different meaning after it's that. It's a sad song, and uh, but it's you know it's beautiful, and you know after something like that happens, it's everybody can point to that as like you know the, the farewell or whatever, or you know. Right. Oh, but it's the best farewell. Like I was thinking actually about this the other day because I was listening to uh, you guys know the Purple Mountains, the uh, you know Silver Jews. Yeah, the yeah. Silver Jews. Yeah. Oh yeah. David Berman. David Berman was, was was the Silver Jews and moved on to the Purple Mountains. And he, he committed suicide a couple years ago. Yeah. And that record is an incredible pre-suicide record. It's more yeah. that sounds. It's, oh really? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Did he mean it that way though when he was writing? I think or, so. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah I don't know if he said. Do you think? Kurt did. I don't. You know, I don't know. I don't know if he meant it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the. Yeah, I'm looking on the bright side too. But, but that's just like one of those, you know, just to be like. Uh, then he says, "I'm on your side." Yeah. Matt, you were a little. You're a little quiet and, about this subject. Uh, well, I know that you were older <laughs> at the time. So, how did that affect you? And like, did you even kind of care that he had passed away at that time? Uh, I was in high school, and like you know, like I said, we, 
there was like sort of this, uh, I don't know, whatever, this kind of backlash, but some of the friends I was with, maybe they, you know, but it's sort of anti nirvana because we saw other people that we thought were kind of ridiculous and their, their obsession with nirvana. And sure. We, we thought Bad Religion was a better band. <laughs> Which is yeah. insane. <laughs> I was like, look, the record talk about how insane that is. Well, I, I don't believe that anymore. Like, okay. I've pretty much come come full circle now. I mean, like, I I, I don't remember being like super, uh, you know, impacted. Or I did. It didn't hit me that hard. I was like, oh, how about that? Of course, you know, that figures. Right. Um, and I, I I just I you know. I came back to In Utero. It's one of those records I keep coming back and listening to, and it's like one of those records that I, that holds up really well. That I listened mm-hmm. to when I was in high school, um, which a lot of stuff doesn't. A lot of better religion doesn't, but like that one does. Uh, True. But at the time, yeah, I, I was kind of in this. It was a little bit like a, you know, he was going through a rockabilly phase. <laughs> no, that was that was later. That, that came over later. Um, it was like Kurt Cobain didn't have an English accent. It wasn't real, real dark. So he didn't have. <laughs> there weren't any words in there. You had to use a thesaurus to decipher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so not much impact for you, right? Okay. I, I wouldn't say that it did. I wouldn't say that it did. I, and it's funny. I look back now and you feel like, like sad, more sad about it than I did. That, and like now, now I feel like, yeah, that really was tragic. That really, that really sucked. But yeah, he was talented, but back then it, it didn't. It kind of didn't impact me as much. But I was mm. young and dumb, so yeah. Well, we all were, but uh, but yeah, I mean, he was kind of like our guy. I mean, like I'm speaking for for uh, me and Pat, I guess, and then you know even Mike to a degree, considering we're you know closer to the same age. Um you know, being young kids, you know, we were 13, 14 years old, you know, that's kind of, kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, it leaves an impression. It was a huge deal. Sure. Oh yeah. Was, I mean, he was, was like our John Lennon. Like he was like that kind of equivalent yeah. in, for our generation, you know? Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, for, for my generation too, they, there were like, you know, I was right in, right in the middle of it too. It was yeah. just, uh, it was just me being like, you know, too cool for school. Like, uh, Right. I'm, I'm in I'm in the real underground music. Right. It's kind right. of like that whole and I completely get that. I really I really do because like that's why like just those few years, man, just those few years that you got just like kind of made that that dynamic just that much different, you know. And then like I completely understand it. That's why I asked you, is this like what were you listening to at that time? Because you know, obviously you already had some of that knowledge of like kind of where, you know, even what kind of inspired Kurt, you know, whereas I was listening like me, to Screeching Weasel. That's right. screeching weasel. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. can't believe I'm sitting next to you. <laughs> I mean, I listen to good music. I was listening to the Jesus like, like, this guy in my house. <laughs> Time heals uh, all you know, wounds. You know, the, it's all the right. Two, the, I think the two records that got played the most, it's, it's these two weird records that, like, every time I listen to them, they take me back to the same, like, period of my life where I was hanging out with the same group of people, like, smoking a lot of weed. And, like, uh, it's 13 songs by Fugazi and in, in utero, those always hit me with this. Like, songs, classic drug album. <laughs> <laughs> Strangely enough, yeah. Really? For me, it is. It's crazy. That's funny. Oh man. I yeah. Mean, I mean, I used to hang out with some weird kids. Yeah. For sure. Well, we all did. We all were weird kids. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah. But that's cool. Hey, it's I just gotta say, like, I'm sorry I don't have like a, a good ending question for you guys. Um, I thought I could figure something out with all apologies, but it was just fucking me up. I was just like too overwhelmed, I think, by it. Yeah, all right. That's understandable. Yeah, but uh, but this is a great record. I'm glad that you chose it. I'm glad that we could talk about it for a little bit because uh, very important to me, obviously very important to you. And yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a classic. And I think that it actually kind of is uh, such a, a like perfect like connection into the style of music that you guys do and the, you know, No Coast Fest and all that stuff. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm proud of it. It's still part of my main influence. So it's the best record of all time, hands down. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it's always been a super important, you know, what definitely, you know, one of my favorite records, if not my absolute favorite. I mean, like I said, it was definitely the first one that, you know, opened my eyes to, like, wanting to make noise like that and play guitar and, you know. Right. You know, going from learning the songs to starting bands and, you know. Yeah, for sure. I, mean, I can tell. I mean, it's yeah. definitely, definitely impactful on you. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, hey. Thank you for having this talk with me, and I'm looking forward Thank to seeing you. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to seeing you in Texas. Final Envision is a psychic static production. Theme song written and performed by Jeff Robbins of the 123 Astronauts.